following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Thank you, Penny. And thank you, Paul, for uh, leading us in congregational prayer today. Um, <clears throat> before I uh, dive into the sermon, I just want to say a quick happy anniversary to my wife, Tracy. Um, <clears throat> She and I have been married 23 years today, which is more than half my life. Uh, and it is, it's a tough thing to be married to a pastor because lots of special days happen on Sundays. And um, it's maybe uh, especially tough thing to be married to a pastor when the pastor is me. Uh, <laughs> so um, happy anniversary, Tracy, and uh, thank you for uh, your long suffering, which rather reminds me of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we are in the middle of this series called World Falling Apart with a little asterisk that says, but we're staying together. And the idea is we want to do two things. One is acknowledge that, yes, the world seems like it's coming apart at the seams sometimes. If you, if you look at the news, um, it's falling apart. If you look at the economy, it's falling apart. Look at our political situation. It's falling apart. Some of you have specific examples in your own lives of how things are falling apart. The thing is, we are navigating this world together. None of us does this alone. And we started out by talking about how you're not alone. And We're looking to scripture and history and the examples of Christian community and what we can find in our own local version of that as ways to help us navigate this difficult time. Because people are suffering. Some of us are suffering. And today's topic is called, or title is, Rejoice in Suffering, question mark. <laughs> How many of you have heard uh, a passage in the Bible uh, that talks about rejoicing in suffering? As a trick question, you should all raise your hand because it was read to you earlier in the service today. <laughs> it's not the only one, but it is one of the most significant ones in the Bible. The book of 1 Peter, which is actually a letter, which is attributed to the Apostle Peter, um, and it's addressed to Christians in several Roman provinces. So it's, it's what um, biblical studies people call a circular letter, which hopefully doesn't mean that it has circuitous or circular reasoning, but rather that it was intended to circulate from church to church. And of course, through uh, the gift of Christian history, it has now circulated to our church, and we get to look at it a little bit today. And a significant theme of this letter is Christian suffering, specifically in the face of persecution under the Roman Empire. And uh, Peter does say, more than one time, some version of, you should rejoice in your suffering, which I find to be a difficult pill to swallow. Am I the only one? And so sometimes when there's a difficult pill to swallow in the text of the Bible, we can dig a little deeper into the original language using either our training or education or tools that are now widely available to everybody, which I've sometimes talked about. And if you have questions about that, I love helping people go a little deeper with Scripture. Because sometimes what you want to do is go, what does that word really mean in the original language? Is it possible that there was just some translator who's like took a word that kind of means like, muddle through somehow, and translated it as rejoice. 
Sometimes that's what happens. Not this time. <laughs> the word is basically like jump for joy in your suffering. And so we do have to deal with that as people who think of the scriptures as in some meaningful way inspired, God-breathed, even maybe authoritative in our lives. We've got to deal with that. Now, you heard that letter read earlier. I want to read a little bit of it to you again. This is First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read, I think, like maybe 3 through 9, just so that it's fresh in your memory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be received or revealed, excuse me, in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Now, with a text like this, sometimes the temptation as a pastor is to take it apart bit by bit and to, to give you sort of a systematic approach to rejoicing and suffering, to give you a formula that sounds foolproof. And so I could go through that text and say, like, well, do you see how he says this? about It's about your salvation and how you can glorify God and all of these things. And all you must do if you are suffering and want to rejoice in your suffering, even though it's hard and maybe even feels impossible, is just follow these simple 16 steps. There's another passage about suffering, and, and it specifically says boast in our suffering rather than rejoice, but it's a similar kind of tone in the book of Romans. And that one is very formulaic because it says something like, for we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces patience, and patience produces hope, and hope. I don't remember all the details. I would have to look it up to read it to you exactly. But here's the thing with approaching the scriptures that way. Even when they seem more formulaic and systematic, A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D, like the one in Romans does, but especially when they are more like First Peter, which is, has so much to say about suffering and goes in so many different directions that it would be even more complicated of a formula. The problem with the formula is that often the formula is preached by someone who is not experiencing suffering at someone who is experiencing suffering, and the person preaching seems to have the expectation that it should be very easy for the sufferee, which is a word I just now made up. And what happens in those circumstances is that the Bible is used not to heal, but to wound. And I want to be very conscious of that possibility and gentle uh, with those of you who are suffering, especially those of you who are suffering specifically for who you are. Because the, the, the truth is that I was 
born into a station in life that, that allows me to skate across the top of so much suffering in the world. And so for me to say to some of you, like, all you need to do is just like these three simple perspective shifts and then you'll be rejoicing in your suffering would probably come across um, as fairly careless, not caring. But what I do always want to do, especially with difficult texts, is to help you in some manner redeem them from their the pain that maybe has been caused you by those texts and by the way others have handled them in the past. I think it, it's worth mentioning that for people who right now today are in the very depths of their suffering, it's okay to sort of let this idea go by. Maybe think of, think of how it could be of use to you next week or next month or in a year from now. I want you to know that as your pastor, I do not expect each one of you to be able to jump from depths of suffering to rejoicing in it. I don't think that's reasonable. And I think all of us should do our best to listen to the voices of the church that have somehow unlocked the secret to rejoicing in suffering. So to me, that specifically speaks to marginalized populations. So we're going to listen to the black church when we can. We're going to listen to the church in China. We're going to listen to LGBTQ Christians. I, as a man, am going to listen to women who have experienced a different type of experience of the world uh, and have, in many cases, um, shown a capacity to rejoice in the face of suffering that is above and beyond anything that I've ever been called to do myself in my own life. Because in addition to being born with a lot of privilege, I've just had a fair amount of luck. I'll tell you straight. And I also think, especially with a text like this, that each of us needs to be listening to the historical church. right? Because this letter was a circular letter. I told you earlier that means it was meant to be circulated. But it was also an occasional letter, which meant it was, it was intended for a spe- specific occasion, which was... Christians who are persecuted by their government. Now, it may be that some of you Americans in the room feel like you are a Christian being persecuted by your government, but let me tell you, I don't really think you are. (laughs) And I know that you are not to the same degree that the Christians in the Roman Empire were, or maybe the Christians in, say, China are today. I don't mean to minimize any difficulty that you've faced in your life. But let us not assume that we are on the same plane of suffering in that particular regard as so many others who've come before us and who are in other parts of the world even now. So, deep breath. That was my preamble for what I actually want to say, which is, I think, going to be somewhat brief. Because when you rule out the type of sermon that offers a formula, which I have done, (laughs) at least for myself, at least for today, What's left is, for me, to offer you, I think, is some concepts and ideas. I want to give you ways of thinking about this rather than one way of thinking about it and rather than a method or technique. So one of the things that comes up a lot around Christian suffering or human suffering in general, regardless of religious belief, 
is the idea of God's will. And, and even the Apostle Peter in this letter says something along the lines of, it's, you know, you should, if suffering is God's will, then you should be able to rejoice in it or boast in it or um, rise above it in some way. I want you to know that I am not of the theological opinion that every bit of suffering is God's specific will for you. Right? So some of you who have been around arts in a long time have heard me talk about this in various ways, but the short version is, I do not in any way believe that God is sitting up in the heavenly control room looking at a giant panel with all kinds of buttons labeled ice cream, good parking spot, elected to prom king, cancer, Tsunami, right? Sunny day, rainy day. It's just not my view of how the universe works, of how our God works. I understand that places me in a place of disagreement with some of you, but hear me out. If this is the first time you've ever heard a pastor say that a tsunami was not God's specific plan for the world, maybe you find that to be deeply relieving, as I did the first time I had heard it. And in fact, if you think I'm splitting hairs, uh, I just need you to know that there are some people in the room, one of them is facing you, for whom that hair being split is the only thing that that allows them to hold on to faith at all. Does that mean that suffering is never God's will? Well, that's a little bit of a more complicated philosophical question. I do believe that there are occasions when God puts us through something for a particular reason. It seems clear to me that the Apostle Peter thinks that that is true for these persecuted Christians in Asia Minor in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And it might be that sometimes God takes you or me through a time of trial, which includes suffering, in order that we might be strengthened the same way steel is strengthened as it is put into the fire and is hammered by the blacksmith. That it might be made more beautiful the way gold is when it's tempered. I believe that that does sometimes happen. But that, to me, does not, believe that, does not mean that every time there's an incident of suffering, it's something that God did. On purpose. Does that make sense? Does that distinction make sense to you? Here again, I might be splitting hairs, but it allows me to continue to exist in the world. And maybe it does you too. And what it comes down to is the question of what is the purpose of our suffering? And I'll tell you, there, there is a theological viewpoint out there that says the purpose of our suffering is God's glory because everything that happens gives glory to God. I reject it. I reject it. Let me give you another hair split that allows me to continue to exist in the world, which is this. It does not have to be true that God caused a specific bit of suffering for a specific purpose in order for it to be true that God will make purpose out of every specific instance of suffering. Do I need to say that again to make it clear or did you get it the first time? I'm going to say it again just to see if I can do it. (laughs) 
it does not have to be true that every specific incident of suffering is done by God for a specific purpose in order for it to be true that every incident of suffering can be used by God for some purpose. I said it a little differently. Maybe it made more sense that way. I do not believe the first one. I wholeheartedly believe the second one. (laughs) And so what that means is that sometimes my answer to the question, what is the purpose of our suffering, is nothing. There is no purpose for it. I don't think I want to live in a universe where every incident of suffering is caused by some all-powerful deity. But I'm not a nihilist. And I believe in the always present goodness of God and the never-ending capability of our God to make beautiful things out of the dust. That's what the story of creation tells us, that God took the dirt of the earth and breathed life into it. And that God continues to breathe life into the dirty parts of the world, into the dirty things that happen, into the mess to make beautiful things. That's why we sing that song like every other week at Artisan. (laughs) You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. So, I promised you I wouldn't give you a formula. But I suppose I will give you a brief list of some of the things that can come from suffering. It's not to promise you that they will always all come to you when you're suffering. It's not to tell you that right now, today, before you leave this room, you need to get all of them before you can be a true Christian. But this is what sometimes comes of suffering. Some of the beautiful things that God breathes into the dust of life include our growth. Sometimes, whether the suffering is God's will or it's just an accident of fate, we grow as a result of it. In fact, I think that's almost the only way that we do grow. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, boy, my life was just so easy this week and I grew so much as a result of it? (laughs) No, that's not how it happens. So sometimes we grow when we suffer. Look, on a big, a big, like, deep theological scale, human suffering offers us union with Christ. Who suffered. I, I usually talk about this the other way around, and I tell you that Christ's suffering on the cross offers the solidarity of God fully present in the life of this, this fully human and fully divine person, Jesus. And Jesus on the cross suffers so that you will know that God suffers just the same as you. But the opposite is also true, that in our suffering we achieve a unity and a union with Christ that is unlike any other type of union with Christ that we can experience. And what that does is it gives us the capacity to offer to other people our compassion and our divinely overflowing love. We're going to talk next week about bearing one another's burdens in the midst of suffering, which I think is a really important concept. And yes, it says it in the text, glorifying God. Sometimes our suffering glorifies God. Now, I think it's quite twisted to say that suffering glorifies God just in and of itself, that it's an end, that just the fact that you're suffering, you should give glory to God. I do not and cannot, and I can't imagine I ever will understand how someone can come to that theological viewpoint, although it's very common in the Christian church. But it is true, it is true that sometimes a Christian's capacity to cope with their suffering is evidence of God's presence in their life so much that, that God's glory just emanates from them right out of the depths of their sorrow. 
It doesn't mean that every single one of you has to attain that each time you suffer. But whenever you do, know that it is sharing the gospel. It is a persuasive experience for other people to see it. We could go all through this letter of 1 Peter. There's some even more challenging stuff in there, uh, including in the next chapter, the admonition that slaves uh, continue to be submissive to their masters and, and count it their joy. Right? I deliberately didn't include that in the readings today and probably would have, I just can't, it's not fair to me. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't mention that it was there and that we have to deal with that too, but maybe another time. I want to point you to the gospel the reading that Penny did right before the sermon is where I want us to end. Jesus said, I, I've said this to you that in, in me you will have peace. In the world you face persecution. And if you're not facing persecution right now, in the world you will face all kinds of suffering. But take courage, I have conquered the world. There it is. <laughs> All the parents in the room are like, it's coming. <laughs> Level two is coming. <laughs> oh. oh, it should be all right. <laughs> so, are you all better now? Can you, take, can you rejoice in your sufferings? Did I solve it all for you? <laughs> no, of course I didn't. But maybe can I get you from a no to a not yet? Maybe can I give you a little bit of a space for hope? These are some steps I would suggest to you. I guess I do have a formula at the end. It's just not the one that you wanted. We talk about lament a lot. Don't skip the step of lament. If you are suffering, join with the psalmists. Join with the people of God who have spoken their pain out loud, who have sung it from the mountaintops. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Don't skip that step. It's important. There's a reason why the Spirit saw fit to inspire those texts to be in our Bible. And then take it to prayer. Did you even bother with that yet? Did you remember to even pray about it? <laughs> I'm definitely preaching to myself right now because I see a spiritual director about once a month, and whenever I'm going through something and I'm sharing it with her, she's like, how does that move you to prayer? And almost always I go, oh, shoot. <laughs> I forgot. So if I'm not the only one, I offer it to you. Take it to prayer. And it has to be a prayer. The prayers can be more than just, Lord, save me from this suffering. That's a valid prayer too. But join with the people of God in praying more complicated and nuanced prayers than that. And then I would offer this as sort of like the highest spiritual state that I've been able to attain around suffering, which is a very... Christ-centered contemplation. The truth is, almost all religious traditions have some version of this, but I'll give you a version from Father Richard Rohr, who, calls, who says, contemplation is a long, loving look at what is. I have that printed out on my wall in my office. Contemplation is a long, loving look at what is. Not what we wish was true. Not what might be true tomorrow. Certainly not what was true yesterday. But what is right now. And if you are able to sit with Christ, whatever you are experiencing, 
and take a long, loving look at what is. Wow, that's powerful. I get there about once a year. But that's the whole thing about be still and know that I am God. I think it's the same thing. By the way, we did this kind of on a whim in the first service. We're going to do it again here. Do you remember the be still singing meditation? Okay. Um, It's going to be new to some of you. It's going to be awkward and embarrassing for all of us at first, and then it's going to be stunningly beautiful, and we're all going to be glad we did it. There's that verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. Anybody with perfect pitch want to sing a D note for me? Uh, Did somebody actually have it? Come on. Uh, That's a D. We're going to sing this all on one note. Be still and know that I am God. And then we're going to shorten it by a little bit each time. We're all going to sing it together on that same note. I'm going to turn my microphone off so that I don't overpower with my bad pitch. second time, all on one note, but we're going to harmonize. So pick a harmony note if you know it. If you don't know what that means, just sing the same note you just sang. We're going to do the same thing. time and we're going to move our notes this time again if you don't know how to do that just stay on the one but if you do move your note each time and we're going to break all of the the sacred choral music rules we're going to have crossing parts and parallel fifths and all of things in between but it's going to be chaotic and beautiful just like christian community always is so sing the same thing reducing the words each time but moving the notes on each syllable okay Still know. 
think we can all agree that was better than anything I said. I'm going to invite you now to join in the beauty of Christian community together in a new way, a different way, which is to take communion together. You can come up through the center aisle and return through the side aisles. If you have kids, you want to get them first and have them take communion with you, you can do that, or you can take communion first and then go get them at the children's ministry. We have self-contained communion elements on the table. The gluten-free is on the right. You can take whichever one you need. Bring it back to your seat. And whenever you take it during these next couple of songs, um, and I'll have the band come forward while I'm doing this, remember in the breaking of the bread that Christ's body was broken for you and in the drinking of the juice that Christ's blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. May it be for you the real supernatural presence of Christ our Savior. And may it be an act of unity with each other and other Christians. And may it be a remembrance that your sufferings mirror Christ's, which mirror yours, which mirror those of all who have ever suffered. You are not alone. You are in communion with each other. And as always, if communion isn't right for you today, for whatever reason, you don't have to take it. You can stay where you are. But our table is open to anyone who would like to participate, whether you're an ongoing part of our community or not. And we'll keep singing as we go. Our table's open. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.